0: I want you to grab your Bibles and go to Mark chapter 2. We're going to spend some time here today. Last week we began our missions emphasis and we were talking about this very real need and as you can see on that video by David Platt that it's a very real mammoth need that's existing all around us. I want us to just anchor our time here today in this text and see the next phase of what we want to talk about which is that missions is a calling to go. We talked about last week how we're called to pray for this very needy harvest field that's very real and very true. Next week, we're going to talk about the call to, to send and to make sure that we are getting more and more people out into this place where there is hurt and pain and sorrow and brokenness and people living without Christ all around the world. We're going to talk about that. Today, you should have received as you uh, came in, or if you didn't, uh, before you leave, we're going to ask the ushers to, to give um, a, a connection, not a connection, I'm sorry, a missionary faith promise uh, pamphlet. That you'll get. I want you to take that home. You're gonna take a pledge with you. And you're gonna take it with you. You're gonna pray over that. You're gonna read it and understand it. And I want you to spend some time with the Lord asking him, what would you have me do in partnership with this very great calling that exists, this very great need that is out here? And I want you to bring that back next week as we participate in our luncheon. You'll be able to submit those and turn them in. So at the Welcome Center, there's all the different brochures and the pledges, and they'll make sure to get one into your hands as you are leaving this place here today. But I want us to focus on this reality here, Mark chapter 2. If you're there, say amen. Let's read the text for just a minute. And when he, that is Jesus, returned to Capernaum, And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and he went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, We have never seen anything like this. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for your word. And I pray, Jesus, in light of what is before us, that the very practical call that you have for each and every person, would, Lord God, arrest us and compel us as we listen to your Spirit. Amen. Church, this morning, in light of all that we are going to discuss, all we've already shared last week, what we're going to share next week, I want us to anchor right here within this story, you know, that is about a specific circumstance and situation that happened years and years ago, but it has grand implications for you and I today. I can see within this story an exact uh, a pattern for us to follow as we consider the need that's all around us in the world today. I, I, that video that you saw was put together about two, three years ago. And how many of you would say, hey, that's just totally irrelevant today, Pastor Brian. That was old news. And that stuff no longer applies I don't think that we could say that. If anything, we can say, in light of all that has transpired over a pandemic, all that has transpired in these last couple of years, and how things are moving, I would say that the need has only grown, if not diminished. Can I get a witness? And so, the first thing I want to draw to your attention in this story of these four men and that paralytic man is that the need is great, so you need to catch a burden. Can we look at the burdened men who are in this story? And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they, these four men, they came bringing a paralytic guy to hear, to see, to meet Jesus. See, there's many things in this story. The Bible is, is, is silent on a lot of things. There's many things about these four men that we have no clue about. We know nothing of. For instance, I have no hint as to what their names are. Maybe they were named John, Tim, Jose, Harold. I don't know. That could have been the names. I'm not ruling it out, but we don't know. What of their ages? I have no idea if these are energetic young bucks or if these are battle-tested older men or if it's a combination of the two. We know not of those details. What about their social standing? Were these esteemed aristocrats or were these marginalized outcasts? We know nothing of their standing. Are they wealthy or are they in wanting? We know not those details. But more importantly, I want you to stop and consider this. The Bible is absolutely silent when it comes to what is their track record with the Lord. Are they new to the faith? Are these enthusiastic, you know, fired up young converts? Or are these men and women, men men who have, you know, sat with the Lord and experienced the great depth of his love and have tested the faithfulness of his character over the long haul? And so they decided to bring their friend. I don't know if these guys are zealous enthusiasts recently converted, or if they have been with God for a long time. And you know what? Maybe you've read this story and you've asked these same questions or you considered you wanted more details. I often read the Bible and I say, Lord, thank you for those details over there, but you didn't give me these details over here. And and it just brings me into a moment in a place where I can just sit there with God and ask him questions and think through why. And he speaks in that incredible detail of what is offered, but he also speaks where things are not. He invites us through his Holy Spirit to engage. And so, if you've asked the question, I commend you. But here's what matters. It does not matter their age. It does not matter how long they've been with God. It does not matter their names. But what I see that is absolutely critical is what the scriptures do tell us. It tells us, you know, not, not that they are young or old, wealthy or, or, or in wanting, that these guys are experts or novices, but it tells us this and it's very clear. That first and foremost, what matters is that these four men were concerned about a sick friend. Turn to your neighbor and say, they were concerned. They were concerned about their sick friend. They were aware of their friend's sorrow and his pain. They could see the seriousness of his situation. They observed how difficult life was for him. How challenges, you know, pained his life because of his disability. How it limited him, and especially in light of that society that was devoid of social services. They saw the struggle of their friend. They saw how powerless he was to change his situation. And they saw themselves within his shoes. They saw themselves. I could be that man right there. I could be my friend. They have spent time with him and they could see themselves in his sorrow. And therefore, his story is their story. His plight is their plight. That's why the five of them are mentioned, because concern and compassion captivated these men. See, we don't know some details, but what I also know is this, that these four believed that Jesus Christ would meet his need. Can someone say amen? Faith, Faith is first and foremost. Knowledge about, not knowledge about Jesus, but it is the trust, the belief that Jesus is sufficient to meet our deepest longing and our deepest need. That is what faith is in Christ it is this belief that he is the one and I don't know did these men somehow hear Jesus preaching in the synagogues did they overhear about the, the testimonies that were happening in Mark chapter one did these guys hear that Jesus went around healing all and casting out demons have they heard this have they experienced this have they witnessed this before their very eyes I don't know it doesn't tell us but what they knew is that Jesus is the answer for our faith friend not only that what we do know is if we look at this text in this scripture is the fact that not only did they concern themselves with his need they believed that jesus was sufficient but these guys were so burdened that they actually did something about it they were burdened enough to go they were burdened enough to act Many years ago in a church service, in a little church, in a small worship service, as the ushers were returning to the altar, bringing the the offerings, a little boy came alongside one of the ushers and he started tucking at his jacket. And as the man bent down to hear the little boy, the boy whispered to him, Sir, can you please put the plate on the floor? Put the offering plate on the floor. Shocked and perplexed, the usher, let me me amuse this little boy, and he puts it down. And then to further complicate the matters and shock him even further, as soon as that offering plate was put on the floor, the little boy came and he stepped right on top of that plate. And he stood on top of the coins and on top of the bills. He stood there. As if to say, I give my whole life to you, Lord. I give you not just the coins in my pocket, but I give you my time, my effort, my very life. I give to you because it is worth it. This little boy, this enthusiastic, consecrated little boy is the same kid who just a few years later in his mid-teens came across a missions meeting poster on his way to his apprenticeship. He comes across a missions poster and he says, I need to be at that meeting. I need to go because something in that missions poster just captivated his heart and he was burdened for the lost. And he said, I gotta go. This is the very same little boy who stepped in the plate, who went to a meeting. It's the little boy named and known as Robert Moffat. Robert became a pioneer missionary to Africa and he was the father-in-law to the saintly missionary David Livingstone, that little boy felt a burden to go for the lost. Just like these four little friends, these four minor friends in the grand scheme of this entire book known as the Bible, they felt a burden. Today in the face of such great need, it is sad for me to say to you that most of the going is reserved for pastors, or at least that's what the church believes. I told you the stat in the Barner research that 42% of people sitting in churches, they believe that it is the pastor's job or a missionary's job to go out and evangelize the world and share the good news of Jesus Christ while there are so many people living and dying without the hope of salvation and a hope of a future. It's sad to say that so many believe only a select few should go, but that was not the case in the early church. It tells us in the book of Acts, if we read the Bible, it tells us that in verse chapter eight, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Those who were scattered in the persecution of Paul, who was known at that time as Saul, Those went around preaching the word of God. It tells us, if you read the scriptures, that in Ephesians, not only some are called to minister, but God has given all. And he gives us in so many different diversity of callings. It says in his word, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up of the body of Christ. See, church, the need is way too big for us to just employ a few reserved select men and women. The need is too great. We need more friends who will catch a burden for those who are hurting. The need is far too great for only a few to respond. So hear the cry of a dying world and catch a burden for the helpless and put yourself in the offering plate. This morning, I pray that God is stirring the hearts of individuals here. And you don't have to go all the way around the world, but you could go to the very job that God has ordained for you to have. Because let me tell you, there's a mission field right there. You can go to the neighborhoods right across the, 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 the driveway, and you can meet the mission field that God has for you, you can also get on a plane and go around the world if you would just catch a burden for the lost. The need, let me guarantee you, is out there and it's real. Secondly, those who respond encounter obstacles. So get creative. Let's look at these four friends as they encounter the calling. They feel the calling of God to bring their friend to Jesus. And when they could not get near to him... Because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and when they had made an opening, they let down a bed on which the paralytic lay. As they approached the house, they're met with an obstacle. As they come to that place, they are met with an obstacle. And I think for us to understand the, 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 the situation and the scene, let me just explain to you what a house in, in that time looked like. It wasn't the massive elaborate homes that we have with multi-room and multi-bathrooms and all that kind of stuff. We are absolutely blessed in this nation. And it's an incredible blessing. But a, a regular peasant's home in the time of Christ, when he was walking in, in the Middle Eastern uh, region of that world, uh, they were a single-room buildings that were not too big, single room structures that were not too big. And you know what? On the roofs of those homes, they would often use it for storage, for drying fruit, and even for sleeping on warm summer nights. On a day hot like this, they would probably sleep at night. And to access that roof, there would be a ladder on the outside of that home. It would be kind of like a stairs, a ladder that would allow you to go up there. If you've ever seen a modern day um, you know, multi-apartment uh, complex, you see those escape ladders, those fire escapes. It's much similar to something like that, but back in that day. And the roof itself was usually made of wooden beams. Attached with, you know, um, different things and compacted with earth so that it would shed water when it rained. And so when they arrive at this house, the house of hope, the house where Jesus laid, the house where the salvation for their friend would be had, they come in front and they meet an obstacle. Isn't it funny, church, that often we find obstacles when we try to bring people to Christ? Have you ever experienced that? This is your chance to say yes or amen. Maybe you have a success rate; you're batting a thousand. I don't know, but uh, it's often the case when we come to bring people to Christ that we encounter obstacles. Sometimes we encounter, you know, a friend that's resisting under the arrogance of self-reliance. No, I don't need this. I got enough talent and ability and money and whatever, and I got this. I don't need a, sa- a savior. I don't need salvation. I'm good. I'm a good person. Sometimes we encounter the obstacle of faulty assumptions that are holding them captive. Sometimes we encounter the very real trauma, and some of which was perpetrated at the hands of other Christians or even the church. We encounter obstacles, whether it's selfishness or time, confusion or injustice, we have obstacles that often stand in the way in the hearts of those that we're trying to bring to Christ. But yet, what about within us? What about within us church when we are trying to bring people to the Lord what sometimes comes across in our own lives Sometimes we find within ourselves there's a downward focus There's a downward we're looking at our feet God where am I going to go who are you going to take me to and you know what when i get there what am i going to say and and what can i do i don't know what to do over there how am i going to change this person's mind how am i going to accomplish this what's going to happen you know what god um you know i need to go talk to that person but i got this to do and i got that to do and um you know there's an downward focus, and we're just concerned on our own feet. We're concerned. We're navel-gazing at ourselves and our lives and our circumstances, and we cannot see what is happening right in front of us. And instead of us looking out and looking upward, instead of us crying out to God and asking him, Lord, have mercy and help me. Lord, equip me when I get there. But Father, prepare the hearts of the person that I'm going to come to. We should be praying for the loss. As D.L. Moody once said, before we ever talk to people to God, we better talk to God about the people that he's calling us to. Instead of us going to talk to people, talk to God that he would give us the words to say when we stand before the people. And you know what? When we do that, as we pray to God, we take the focus off of our feet and we lift up our eyes from where comes our help. Our help comes from the Lord. If we look to him, he starts changing our hearts. He starts changing perspectives. He starts shifting our own desires and qualities he starts downloading discernment and providing for us clarity he induces us with power he takes our attention off of our inadequacy and inability and he focuses us upon his matchless and wonderful power that is above and greater than anything that we could ever ask or imagine for why do we, what obstacles do we encounter? Why do we get tripped up? Why? Because sometimes our gaze is not only fixed downward, but it's fixed inward in the sense that, you know what? We live for our kingdom and not God's. Sometimes we're just so busy about our little kingdoms. Kingdoms. With a lowercase k, our little kingdoms, my little castle, my little chariot, my little uh, opportunity for conquest and mission and victory, my little progression. It's me, 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 and we cut out every single space to have an evangelistic conversation. We have no margin. We have no margin to be able to have a conversation. I'm just focused about building my kingdom and building my mission and advancing my bank account and advancing my reach and my influence and this and whatever. And I have no opportunity to just look up and have a conversation with someone. But I praise God that there is a eunuch in heaven today that is, is glorifying the Lord because Philip had enough margin to have a conversation with a man by a lake in the middle of the desert. A little body of water, he spotted it right there and Philip had a conversation. I praise God that there is a whole village of Samaritans who are praising the Lord today because Jesus had enough margin to stop and have a conversation with a woman at a well. Not just about building his own little, not just about being tired or being, you know, about his own business and what he had just accomplished or what he needs to get done on his to do list, but having enough margin to be able to go forward. I praise God that there's a layman in heaven today that Peter and John had enough margin to stop at that gate beautiful and say, Hey, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. So rise, take up your bed and walk. Church. Those who go will often encounter obstacles. So we got to get creative. The problem is not that there's an obstacle there. The problem is that when we find the obstacle, we give up because it's too late. I praise the Lord that these men did not turn around when they came to that house, but they looked up. When they looked up where their help comes from, they noticed that there was a roof. And they went and they approached that space. They bypassed the crowds who would not let them passage, who would not allow them to go in. And they went up and they met an obstacle with a solution. These men got up there on their new route and they started answering you know, the, the, the prayers of their friend Saying, hey, don't you worry, my friend. Your prayers are getting answered. Don't you worry. We're not turning around. We are going to accomplish what we came to accomplish here today. You will see Jesus. And these men start breaking up that roof. They start drilling down. There's a massive demolition project happening in the middle of church. Imagine if someone started taking a jackhammer to our roof right now. How many of you guys would be so concerned about what's happening up there that you lose fact of what is happening within the meeting? That Jesus was speaking and declaring his wonders and teaching. And in that moment, these friends started demolishing that roof. And these guys are so concerned for their friend that they don't care about the cost. These guys don't care about what they need to do in order to get their friend before Jesus. They start breaking that space so that they can get their friend to Jesus. For those five men, the roof had to be broken up. Their desperate desire to see their friend before the Lord meant that they could not care more for the awkwardness of the interruption, the the awkwardness of that moment, or the cost of that demolition and destruction and damage. These guys were more concerned with their friend than in saving face. Sometimes I wonder for myself, do I have that kind of faith? Sometimes in the moment of a heated conversation or in a moment where it's the exact opportunity for me to speak about God's word and declare something in his truth, then all of a sudden, I don't know what happens, um, but there might be an intimidation or something. And, and I've, I, I have to admit to you, there's been times in my life where I didn't speak up or do what I needed to do because there was something that got in my way. Maybe I'm the only sinner in this place that's ever experienced that. But these guys said No. I need to speak. We need to act. We need to do what we need to do. And so for them, the person was more important than the cost. And I praise God that this is a principle we find all throughout the scriptures. When we see Jesus in Mark chapter 5, just a couple of verses, chapters later, when he finally goes over to the other side, to the region of the Gerasenes, a demoniac man comes and approaches him. And before he's before him, this man screams out. He is conflicted and he's afflicted by these demons. And Jesus declares that the demons would flee from the man. Before they flee, they ask Jesus, please let us go and, and, and come into those herds of pigs right over there. Jesus declares, get out of this man. Yes, go get out of here. And the demons jump over onto that herd of pigs and immediately they drive those pigs off the cliff to drown in that body of water. Herds of pigs, but yet Jesus was more concerned about the demoniac man than he was concerned about the loss of the farmer who just lost thousands and thousands of his pigs and his herds and his well-being. Why? Because to Jesus, the person is more important than the cost. I praise God that he was more concerned for us that he chose to go at his own expense. Years ago, there was a the British, uh, British naval officer who, as he was serving in his term of duty, Admiral Hunter, he was court-martialed because of something that was allegedly done. He endangered one of his majesty's vessels. At the trial, evidence was put before them, and it corroborated the fact that he, ve- he did exactly what they were claiming he did. They presented the fact that he had damaged a particular ship very severely. And so after they presented the facts, the admiral gave his one defense, and he said this. Gentlemen, all the evidence that you have heard today is very true. But you have not heard the reason why the vessel was injured. I ordered the vessel to be put about because there was a man overboard and I had hoped to save him. And gentlemen, I deem that the life of an individual sailor in Her Majesty's Navy is worth all the vessels that float upon the seas. Church, that's what Jesus has demonstrated for us. That every single life is more important than any accolade than any material thing, than any single objective that we could ever pursue, anything that we could ever give up, anything that we could ever let go of, the individual is more important. These friends, whatever the obstacle was before them, they decided that we're not turning back, but we're going, we're following after Jesus, and we're bringing our friend before him. Friends, those who respond to the calling to go into missions, the calling to go and partner with the kingdom of God, wherever that leads you, are those who realize there will be obstacles, but they get creative. Not only that, we'll go to one more, but let me just say this, because there will be a cost, you got to be ready to let go of whatever that cost may be you must be ready to pay the price and say yes. Some of us might say, "Oh Jesus, you're calling me to go and you're calling me to be creative in how I'm going to meet the needs of those around me." And so God, I know that that's going to require me to lose a little bit of sleep. I say lose it. It's going to require me to lose a little bit of an investment. Maybe I'm going to miss out on an investment. Maybe I'm going to miss out on on some great opportunity. Maybe I'm going to, you know, suffer some 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 criticism. Maybe I'm going to be un- misunderstood and suffer suffer some embarrassment, maybe I'm going to actually suffer some persecution. But Jesus said, go. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always to the very ends of the age. Go, pay the price, lay down the sacrifice, get creative in how you're doing it, but just go, because the need is great. Our ability is limited, so we need to learn to trust the master. That's the third thing I want you to understand. There was an empty bed and a renewed heart after Jesus encountered these five friends. Just look with me at this text right here. It tells us that Jesus is talking. He sees the thing, the, the roof is broken before them. There's probably dirt falling on people. There's twigs falling on people. People are getting, you know, restless. They're talking, they're mummering, and, and Jesus is trying to preach. And he stops and he starts gazing up at those people coming down. He sees a head poking through the, the hole. And then he sees a bed coming through the hole. And then he sees a person hanging on that bed. What a sight that would have been. And it says in verse 5, when Jesus saw these men, he said, son, your sins are forgiven. Can you imagine those four friends at that moment? We know what the people inside the room, especially the scribes, are going to say. We've read the text. But imagine the, the, the shock or, or the surprise in the eyes of those four friends. Hey, Jesus, we have paid the price of carrying our friend all of this time, all the way to this house. We have actually carried, we are tired. It is hot outside today, Jesus. We are tired. We are sweating. We've done, we have completely defiled and damaged this person's house. Sorry, Simon, is this your house? I don't know. My bad. What's the bill? What's the invoice? We'll take care of that later. We have done that. We have paid the price. We have interrupted the meeting. And Jesus, we have come here for something else, and now you're offering something invisible where what we asked for was something tangible. Can you imagine the surprise of these four friends? Our friend on the mat here did not come for you to forgive him, but he came here so that you would touch his legs and make him walk. And I've wondered, why did Jesus declare first and foremost, you know, he talks about the issues in the heart of the scribes there, but I want us to capture this within our own hearts, that Jesus says to the man, your sins are forgiven. You know, there, there's nothing in this story that would suggest that the man's you know, disability was at all related to something in his past life in terms of sinfulness. There's nothing in here to tell us that he's actually lame because he has committed some egregious sin in his life. And in fact, the Bible, if you read the book of Job, it tells us that we should not be jumping to conclusions about people's disabilities or problems or sorrows because of sin. It could be something totally apart from that and part of God's great grand design and plan. When one man was stricken with blindness and they asked him who sinned, his father or his parents or this man, what was this? Jesus says, none, this is for the glory of the father that I may heal him. We don't know what is going on. There is nothing indicating that he is full of sin and therefore that is why he is lame. There's no correlation. So why? But I think think that Jesus declares to him, first and foremost, your sins are forgiven. Why? Because Jesus is putting a finger right here in this text on the man's real and pressing need. Doesn't Jesus, when we show up, ask him for something? We might ask him for this, that, or the other, and yet he goes and he puts a finger on something completely different. Because Jesus is very good at putting his finger on that which matters most in our lives. He is very good at understanding that our present problem, he is not unconcerned about it. It's not like he would look at this man and say, oh man, tough luck, tough cookies, sorry, you can't walk. No, he is concerned and we're going to see that he's going to heal this man in just a little bit. But here's the deal. Jesus was way more concerned, not with the condition of the man's legs, but he was concerned with the condition of the man's heart and the condition of his soul. See, Jesus is concerned with your marriage. He's concerned with your children. He's concerned with your job. He is concerned because he is the good shepherd that is kind towards his sheep, that leads us to still waters and makes us lay down beside, you know, peaceful streams. He makes us rest. He is concerned with us. There is no doubt about that. But he is way more concerned with the condition of our soul. Jesus, if you look out this world and we see all that's going on around us, he is concerned with the hunger that's afflicting millions. He's concerned with the oppression and the violence. He's concerned with the wars. He's concerned with the afflictions and the spiritual darkness. He's concerned with all of these things that are going on, but what he is more concerned about is the condition of every person's soul. And so Jesus wants for you what he wants for you, what he wants for me, what he wants for the people in this world is not that we would just have our needs met and you know, our lives you know, <laughs> enlarged. But what he wants is that we would be in right relationship with God the Father. For that is the reason why he came. He came to seek and to save those who are lost. And Jesus Christ would call all of us who say we are believers to be about not coming and giving them. How many of you guys have gone to McDonald's? Just raise your hand real quick. There's only a few of you guys who've ever been to McDonald's in your whole life. When you get to McDonald's and you order your food, right there on the window display, right before you pick up your food, there's a little thing where you can just slip some coins and some money. And you can give to the Ronald McDonald charities. That is a great work and it it does a lot of things. But let me just tell you, church, you know what? That is not missions. That meets needs and sure, it, it, it takes care and it f- might feed some people or, or provide something. It's a great cause, don't get me wrong, but that is not missions. What Jesus is concerned is, I don't want to just give you a cup of water and I want to give you a place to live. I don't want to just give you a job so that you can provide for your family. I want to give you salvation for your soul because what is missions is that you would know the Father and have relationship with Him. Missions exist because worship does not. I came to seek and to save those who are lost. Don't get me wrong. Go serve at a soup kitchen. Go on a mission trip. Provide humanitarian aid. Build a house for those who don't have it. Give a cup of cold water. Visit those who are in prison. But as you go, when you get there, please preach the word of Jesus Christ. Preach the gospel of Christ because that is salvation right there. That is the opportunity, the, the means, the, the, the road into receiving the greatest thing that we need i'm not going to get into the reaction of the scribes let me just tell you that you know what there was brokenness within them as well they were more concerned with seeing something visible and tangible because um, they were concerned about that because it's a lot easier for you to say that something happened and you can't prove it therefore you look like you are more holier and, and that you are effective and powerful they were more concerned about the healing then they were concerned about the salvation and the forgiveness of sins. I'll let you study that in your own time, but I just want you to understand Jesus is the authority which we have. You and I don't have the power to save people and to release them from their sins. So we have to trust the Father who sent his son. We've got to trust the master who gave up his life, the one who paid the price, despising the shame, And he went, and he went, and he went, and he went. And he affords for us salvation and a way of escape. We need to trust in him because the power remains in his hands. I see a beautiful picture in here that when four men left home with faith to see God move upon their friend's life, it was one story. When they came home, it was not four men who had faith, but five men who went home saved, filled with faith in the Father. Last thing I want to bring to your attention, i invite the team to come up, and I want us to just contemplate. Our reflection today, our response today is going to be reflective. I want you to understand through this story, and as you see all throughout the scriptures, is that change is possible. So please, prepare for celebrations. Change is possible, so please prepare for celebration. I think some of us are not prepared to celebrate what God is about to do. We you know, go about this not realizing that, that there is power in the name of Jesus Christ, that there is power as we serve him and answer you know, uh, his calling in our lives. And we say, Lord, here I am, send me. As we put ourselves in the offering plate and we make ourselves available to go, there is power because it does not flow from us, but it flows from him. And we bring something beyond ourselves that has been tried, tested, and confirmed time and time again. His power is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. His gospel saves today. If he healed before, he shall heal again. And at that moment, it tells us, this man rose and immediately he picked up his bed. He went out before them all. I can imagine him pushing past the people who did not make room for him to come into the house. Those who had all of their feet working for them. Those who were perfectly okay, but just were curious to see a sign, miracle, or wonder. Those who could have rejected the opportunity and did so. They disqualified a miracle by not allowing this man to come through. And yet those guys persevered no matter what. And now the very miracle they denied is walking past, excuse me, sir, I got to go home. Pardon me, ma'am. I got to get back to my family. Excuse me. I'm going to go apply for a new job because I can work now and I can provide for my family. I got to get out of here and go because I I had an encounter with the master. Today is a day of celebration. And the Bible tells us that there is celebrations in heaven when one person receives the Lord. There is celebrations, you know, among the God's people when one person comes to know the Lord. In the parable of the the lost son, there was a party in that house. They turned up in that place because God had brought home the one who was lost. I know that these four friends, they must have been shouting and hollering They must have been like, thank the Lord that we broke this roof and it was worth it. We will work as long as we need to repay and and fix the damages. But you know what? My friend, this guy that we love, this person we were concerned with, this person that we dreamed for, that we believed for, that we knew the Lord could minister to, this one who was lost, he is found, he is whole, he is good, and it is a good day. I was rejoicing there and there's rejoicing believe you me in the families of the ones you will go and reach there's, it, it, just just get close to somebody who used to be bound up in chains subjected to addictions lost in confusion hopeless in their despair, completely oblivious to the salvation and the hope and the future that God has reserved for human beings. And they did not know, get around their family, get around them once salvation comes into their home. Come around their house, listen to their stories, hear the words in their mouths, and you're going to witness a celebration. Of God's incredible goodness and glory. I think that some of us have forgotten the fact that change is possible and celebration is thus going to happen. Because if we caught wind of that reality, if we just fixed our eyes on that possibility, I wonder how many more would we go to? So today, as you stand with me, I want you to just capture this. I pray to God that some of you will answer the call and go to a short-term missions trip. I'm looking forward to planning some of those in our near future and in partnering with different missionaries and going on te- with teams from this very church as we have gone to so many of these places in times past. I'm praying that some of you will say, Lord, here I am. I'm going to go. I pray, though, that before you wait for us to organize one and go, that you will connect with some sort of organization and that you will say yes. That you will go and experience the wonderful blessing that is when you get to serve and share Jesus Christ with someone It is life-changing. But I pray before you step on a plane, get on a boat, travel around this world, I pray that you would contemplate and ask God to catch a burden for those that are in your immediate circle of influence. That God would break your heart for those within your family, within your workplace, that he will break your heart for those that are in your very community, living in the apartment building that you live in, living in the house next door, living in the community that God has placed you in. That he would break your heart for those who are sitting in the classroom with you. That he will break your heart for those that you encounter as you go about your day. And that you'll say, Lord, here I am, send me. I pray that you would ask God, God, give me creativity to not turn tail, but Lord, that I would say, here I am, you have sent me. So God, as you have the power, I ask you, Lord Jesus, do your work. I want you to stop and picture right now somebody. Somebody, please. Someone in your life, in your family. Go ahead, close your eyes. Just imagine that person. Picture their beautiful, beautiful face. Jesus Christ died for them. Did you know that? Jesus Christ declared them worthy of his sacrifice. So can you just cry out to him right now and say, Lord, this is my mission field. This is my assignment. This is the person that, Lord, I want my heart to grieve, to break, to be Lord Jesus, completely turned. That I would see them encounter you. Forgive me, Lord, for stopping my prayers. Forgive me, God, for not going to them again and again. Lord, forgive me for not caring enough or being creative enough to broach the conversation, to open up the opportunity to speak your words of life to them. God, forgive me for just being altruistic and kind, offering a compliment, but never offering the change agent, which is your gospel. You're not going to ask me only if I gave them a cup of cold water. But God, you're going to ask me if the blood of their lives and their future is upon my hands. So God, I pray that you would give me a burden and creativity but God that you would also allow me to rest in the power of your name can you picture that person can you picture that family member that colleague that friend and for some of you can you picture that people group that God's going to uproot you from this place and going to take you all the way there so that you can be a blessing Father, I thank you that you capture the story of these four men whom we don't even know their names. I'm grateful because by not knowing their name, their age, their standing, the length of service, how long they've known you, I know that you just put all of us on the line. You put us all on the hook and you said that we are all responsible because we can all relate to the nameless friends that were found in Mark chapter 2. I pray, God, that you would infuse us with your power, that you would charge us to go forward, and that, Lord, you would use us according to your grace in your precious and mighty name. Lord, I pray your blessings would be upon your people, that you would use them and guide them, and that, Lord, that there would be a harvest that is impacted because of their faithfulness and obedience. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.